Welcome to To Your Bible, custom designed to your Bible reading plan and weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and I'm with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And we are continuing in the riveting opening so section of First Chronicles 5 through 9. Uh, and so I'm sure it was the most profound reading you've ever had in the Old Testament. But uh, yeah, we continue through a bunch of genealogies of the various tribes of Reuben, of Gad, of Manasseh. Oh, we, we cover quite a bit. And there's, I mean, in general, we're just covering genealogies, but I hope you pause long enough to kind of look back and think, okay, what can I learn from this? And whether it's the idea of blessings coming with obedience and consequences coming with disobedience, um, or just God's faithfulness, God answering people when he cries out to them. So this is all being stated and written down, chronicling the history of God's people, and then looking forward to this new, which we'll talk about in Matthew and continuing on in the New Testament, this new nation and this new people, yeah. God's people. Yeah, they're covering where they've been just to help inform where they're going. Yeah. And uh, we may not cover all the details, not that there's a lot of them, but uh, all the details of some of these lineage lines. And so um, hopefully remembering back to um, some of what we covered in, in, the, in uh, the Torah covers some of these groups, these tribes, and some of their backgrounds. But um, some groups get a little more focus on others, such as the, the descendants of Levi. Um, we see them get a little more attention, uh, which... Kind of makes sense. If they're returning to Israel, they're going to start setting up the temple system that um, we, we need the people who run the temple system. Yeah, I mean, the, the nation of Israel doesn't exist outside of the worship of Yahweh. Yeah, and and it's central to them. And so um, the chronicler, who himself might have been a Levite or might have been a priest, he, um, he, he's got a more detailed genealogy here to make sure that we understand that there's them, there's musicians that are ready to go, um, that there's certain lands that will be divvied up as well. There's, there's all the sort of details um, related to the Levites that isn't included in all the others. And there is one line within the Levite ones I really like. It says, when the Lord carried Judah uh, Judah and Jerusalem into captivity by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And I love that the chronicler, I mean, yes, Nebuchadnezzar came, he conquered, stuff like that. They didn't look at it as like some outside foreign group just did something on its own. It was, this was the Lord's doing. Like the mm. Lord is the one who brought us out of captivity and the Lord is the one who's bringing us back into captivity. There's definitely this very sovereign understanding of what had happened to them uh, and what is happening to them now. Yeah. And we'll hit that more and more and more. I mean, when we look at Habakkuk, that's basically the essential aspect of what the whole book is about. Uh, but it should cause us again to step back and think of what we're seeing in our modern day political situation, whether here in the United States or globally, um, at some point we've got to submit ourselves to the work of God and you know, different leaders are going to come and go, and some of them may be awesome, and some of them may be awful. Uh, but we have to trust God is sovereignly at work in all of it. Yeah, and um, we, we end up uh, hearing about um, Benjamin, and inside the Benjamin one, there's this, I think, a veiled reference to the tribe of Dan, who uh, is absent from uh, the opening of Chronicles, uh, which um, we hear the son of Aher or son of another, and um, it references the the family family lineage of Dan without referencing Dan himself. And so um, I do think uh, at this point, Dan would have been one of the northernmost uh, kingdoms. Remember, they were supposed to be where the Philistines are and eventually abandoned that and move up north. And, um, and ultimately, when all these three different groups 
come in from the north, uh, Dan bears quite the brunt of it. And so, um, yeah, we, we, by this point in time, I think Dan had, there was no identifiable tribe of Dan, uh, for the Israelites as they went home, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, we cover more in Manasseh, Ephraim, all, all these various groups, uh, that, that continue on and Asher. Uh, but then we slow down again, uh, to talk about Benjamin and to talk about Saul, uh, which, um, as, as a story, we, we kind of cover the, the history very fast of all these places and then we'll slow down, uh, start talking about Saul and particularly David. Uh, so the genealogy of Saul still matters. It's, it's as if, they recognize that, you know what, Saul was still our king. He was rough, but he mm-hmm. was still, he was still our first king. And so, uh, let's, let's take a moment and talk about him. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we see after the exile to Babylon, the priests returned first. Um, and again, we're reminded that they were put into exile because of a breach of faith. Yeah. And, and Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, we hear about some of these groups and, um, but, but more importantly, we hear that there are enough priests, there are enough uh, of these groups, these priests, uh, these gatekeepers, um, and, uh, folks to take care of the furniture or the food in the temple, singers, there's enough of the Levites. There's enough of some of these talented people to reestablish our form of the sacrificial system to reestablish our form of worship. And so um, it, it's good news. I think it's sort of like, look, we took an account of everything and we have enough. God has not abandoned us enough that we don't have the means to reestablish what we are called to do. Yeah. And then we get, once again, Saul's genealogy repeated just to keep driving home. And this is the end of that first nine chapters. And so, um, yeah, it's sort of it. like transitioning back into the storyline of, Saul Second. and then David and everything else. So congrats. Yeah. You handled one of probably the most boring sections of scripture. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Sweet. New Testament. All right. That was so fast. It's going to be a quick <laughs> podcast today. No, it won't because we got a lot to talk about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we get this little lament over Jerusalem to start this week. And uh, hopefully uh, you, you didn't forget the just a couple days before we were reading um, – the the sort of accusations and woes of Jesus. And so, um, yeah, this, this lament is still tied in. Uh, it's a bit of an unfortunate break in lines, but this, this lament is still tied into that previous week uh, of of him laying into the leadership of Israel and then him just weeping and having this, this sadness about really this, this city that has no shepherd yeah. um, and has been led by bad shepherds. And one day he's going to come back and establish his true kingdom. Yeah, and I just I think it's interesting pointing out Jerusalem means city of peace. And so he's saying city of peace, city of peace, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. What a contradiction. I mean, Jerusalem was set up to be a place of peace for all people to gather and worship Yahweh. And instead, they are the place where the prophets and the people who represent Yahweh are killed and mistreated and rejected. And of course, we'll see that through Christ in the next few chapters. Yeah. And so 
this this chapter sets up with them leaving uh, the temple. Uh, the, the the disciples are talking about the temple. And then Jesus suddenly says to them, "You see all these, don't you? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down." So this is the comment about the temple. And as they leave the Mount of Olives, they would have seen like the temple right there, right off in the distance. And the disciples came to him as a follow up question: "Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the, at the, the end of the age?" And so the question is like, when when is this destruction when 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 is this temple when is this all your accusations against the leadership and and how how that they are going away whatever whatever like you're setting up your messiahship like when is all this happening and 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 that's the question and so uh i i think i think the 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 context of everything that jesus is about to go into is the answer of so you just said the temple is going to be torn down. When's that going to happen? And mm-hmm. and Jesus starts answering them, and he starts talking in this very, uh, as I said, apocalyptic type language, where you know, he speaks of false prophets lead people astray, and uh, rumors of wars, and 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 all these all these things are, are going to start happening. There's going to be nations fighting, uh, kingdoms against kingdoms, uh, famines, earthquakes, like all of this stuff, and and it sounds. Um, in some ways, um, um, hyperbolic, but it's all stuff we ultimately see within 40 years of Jesus probably giving this statement. Because uh, eventually, um, <clears throat> all the corruption of Israel, all the power of Rome come to a head. And uh, there becomes a war right around somewhere between 67 and 70 AD, depending on which stories you want to rely on. And <clears throat> the Romans have had enough of Israel and its independence. And they 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 desecrate it. They kill thousands upon thousands of people. They it is as destruction as destruction can be. And ultimately, it's the last time we ever see a temple in Israel through our history right now. And so um, there's there's a, a very definitive two thousand year old now cut between the old system and the old temple and the destruction of that temple and, and what we have still to this day. And so um, what, what I would argue and, and hear me, there's, there's people that would disagree with me, but in the context of what Jesus is talking about, the question that was asked and then the finale of this whole section where he says, this generation will not pass before all these things take place. I think that what Jesus is referring to through pretty much all this section is related to the destruction of the temple that's going to be coming and the instructions for the disciples. Now the destructions for the disciples become the same instructions for us, but we'll cover that in a second. But he he talks about Daniel, uh, he quotes Isaiah, he does all these other things. And, and, and yet most of it is saying like, look, like it's going to be awful in those days. There's going to be all sorts of awful things. Like if, even if, uh, even for those who are pregnant or nursing infants and like, they're going to be, it's going to be awful. Even those who should have hope are going to have like no hope. And, and so flee. His instructions for them is flee, as if he's saying, look, my judgment upon everything that I, that he's just condemned for three chapters, his judgment upon it is coming. And, and, and so the judgment is upon Israel, and particularly its leadership, not upon you guys as followers of me. So flee, get out. Don't be a part of my judgment on them. Get out of the city. Um, and then he goes into the statement about the coming of the Son of Man, which if you go to that passage of Daniel, the Son of Man was a bit of this like mysterious figure, but eventually um, he, he, he appears in the clouds to the Ancient of Days as like this vindication that the Son of Man is truly um, with and, and, and affirmed by the Ancient of Days as like of power and, and ultimately divine as, as God. And so that's not about 
the son of man, like showing up on this planet, it's about like, as if to me, as if Jesus is saying like, look, like when all those things happen, all this destruction happens, the sun will be darked, all this stuff will happen and the son of man will be vindicated. Like it will prove what I'm saying. It will substantiate like the ancient of days, like people will go, yes, clearly what Jesus said has come true and, uh, and he will be vindicated. And, and, and so I think all this is wrapped up in there. I know there's a lot of controversy and disagreements on some of that, but, um, but so yeah. what the, I'm going to repeat yeah, yeah. the gist of what I think you're saying is that, all of these conversations that we oftentimes in our modern day culture will associate as end times, which have not yet come yet, or like very left behind series, if you were part of that, is really Jesus speaking to what would happen in the late 60s until the temple was destroyed in 70. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's plenty of eschatological, which is really the, the talking about the end things. Um, there, there's a lot of positions that actually take that at least somewhat uh, through this chapter. And so I'm not saying anything crazy or outside the bounds or no one agrees with. Um, but um, I think sometimes many of us are raised in such a way that we start getting into sort of this future telling by Jesus and immediately put it somewhere into our future. When what Jesus might be referencing is for the disciples' future, and it has taken place, at least most of it. And, and, and so we should read it that way and not try to pinpoint all these things in our current events. But at the same time, I think the instructions to the disciples, which we will see in sort of the wrap up here of, so be ready, be on the lookout, because like you don't know when these things are going to happen that those instructions are still instructions that I think are applicable to us. And there's plenty of other parables to, to connect that instruction to us. But um, yeah, I think that's important too. Yeah, I think for us reading this, within the historical context of that time, we can step back and say the lessons to hold fast to what you believe and endure to the end are things that can be applicable to us as well. We can look out and say, okay, just because things aren't working out really nicely for us or life isn't easy or we're suffering or struggling or everything seems to be working against us does not mean that God has left us or abandoned us, but we need to hold fast and endure to the end. And remember that there's really one thing for us that remains right now, and that is God and his word. And so to lean into that, to know the Bible so that we can hold fast when, when we start to be questioned or if we end up in circumstances uh, where there's a lot of suffering. Yeah. And, and it's worthwhile. I know everybody in this podcast comes from different backgrounds and different um, experiences in all these conversations that for those of you who, who have some form theology around a thousand years, notice I'm, none of this has a comment on the thousand years and, and we'll get there when we get to Revelation. Um, th- then we get this whole teaching on Noah where Jesus is like, it's going to be like the days of Noah and there's two people and one will be kind of snatched away and one will stay. And for whatever reason, and we talked about this a little bit in Thessalonians too, like this gets connected with this idea of rapture that uh, there'll be two people, then the, the faithful of God will be snatched out of the field and disappear and stuff like that. But like in the Noah story, who stays and who gets sort of grabbed away? The people who stay are Noah. Like they're the ones who are faithful and remain when everybody else gets swept away in the flood. And so in the theology of what Jesus just taught, like you want to be the one left behind. Like that is the goal. And that's the goal of most of Jesus's parables, whether it's the catching of the fish where uh, some fish get tossed out and then the other fish, the good fish remain or the wheat and the tares, the tares get tossed out and the wheat remains. The same is here true here. That's, that's the point of the story. And so um, this, this idea of like, well, there's going to be one day like people flying in a plane and suddenly their clothes are going to be laid out in the seat and instantaneously. Like that whole picture 
is not at all what Jesus is teaching. And so we got to be cautious to read the context, to think through, okay, like, what was it like in the days of Noah? So what might Jesus be teaching? And so um, I, I just... I hear enough not accurate theology based upon verses completely out of context. I just want to make sure, like, if you come from some of that, that you look at these passages really in their context and you think through them. Cool. Yeah, and we're going to go into some parables that talk about what it looks like to be ready. But what we see in that story is this um, is the faithful and wise servants, the people who live for the kingdom to come in obedience to the master. And I, I guess we'll jump into that deeper in the next yeah. stories, but that that's the thing to pull from this concept, from this story, this part about no one knowing the day and the hour is that we need to be faithful and wise servants living for God. Yeah. And, and he talks about these faithful and wise servants, but also these wicked servants. And, and, and he points out, look, these are faithful wise servants and they do, they do what was right. They feed the people at the right time. They, they give them water. They, they, they do these things, but the, the wicked servants, they weren't doing those things and they beat their fellow servants and they eat and drink with drunkards. They're, they're not watching over their people and, and their households. And, and ultimately, given everything we just saw of Jesus sort of condemning particularly the leadership in Israel, and then his statement that this temple is going to fall, I think the context is that Jesus is, is speaking of these, these, the leaders in Israel as these wicked servants who are not doing their jobs. They're not uh, giving people the food at the proper time. They're not caring for the people well. And so um, we're going to see, I think, all three parables also reflect all the teaching that we just talked about, whether it's um, talking about being ready and watchful, whether we're talking about sort of giving an account for things or even providing for those who are hungry or thirsty. Um, and, and, and hear me, I think Jesus's direction is related to the current, particularly leadership of Israel. But in, in, in so speaking of them and talking about how they're corrupt, how they're not doing these things, all these woes we just heard of like not caring about mercy and justice. I think the application then is to look to his disciples and go, but if you are in my kingdom and you are my kingdom people, these are the things you, you care about. Because yeah. these people say they're of my kingdom and they don't care about these things. If you guys are of my kingdom, these are the things, these are the values of my kingdom people. And so I need you to care about these things. So, uh, yeah, let's get into those parables. So the first is the parable of the 10 virgins. Right. And so, um, as I said, this, this becomes the ready and watchful question here. And now, uh, I feel like we covered it even back in Exodus of um, when a Jewish wedding happens, uh, there's the engagement, and then the son or the man goes away, prepares a room for him and his bride, and then would return. And, and his return was not, not always... Um, it was, it was sometimes random. It was whenever he was ready. And so um, there was usually lookouts and they would sound an alarm and blow a trumpet, whatever it may be, um, for the groom's return. And we saw in the previous statement around the, the condemnation that, that they took a wicked attitude because they said, my master is delayed. And I think the same thing is here, um, the sort of like, hey, um, we we got drowsy and we slept. The bridegroom was delayed, um, as, as the text says. And so um, there's such a parallel already pulling pulling those two stories together <clears throat> and and what i think jesus is imploring his believers is his followers is look be ready and be watchful knowing that i will return don't waste your life don't 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 just not care about these things like care about them be on the lookout know that these things are coming uh and 
and I think there's even an interesting play in Jeremiah 25, which also talks about um, the this this bride and this wedding celebration, but then the extinguishing of oil and stuff like that. And and ultimately, he points Jeremiah points out that God sends Nebuchadnezzar to 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 remove your oil to be the one who ultimately brings judgment upon. Mm-hmm. I would argue the other five uh, virgins here, and so. Um, yeah, I think the same thing is happening uh, here, I think, with Rome as opposed to Nebuchadnezzar uh, in Matthew 24, which we just read. Like, that's coming, that's here, uh, that's that's 40 hour, or forty years away, whatever it may be. Um, and, and Jesus, once again, imploring his disciples, you don't know the hour that any of these things are going to happen, whether it's the fall of the temple, whether it's Jesus' return, whatever, it's some other giant catastrophe and judgment that may be coming. So, be ready. Yeah. Um, and just a little a side note to add to that, I really like the imagery of them having light and carrying lamps. And it just makes me think of the idea even of us being the light of the world and that we have Christ's light shining in our hearts. And so for those of us who do know the Lord, who are Christians, who are born again, um, we we have to look towards the return of Christ with coming. And this idea of stewardship continually is getting reiterated. I just think of ambassadors um, and how they live in one country, but they represent the values of an entirely different country. And that's what we are as followers of Christ. Yeah. And then we get the parable of the talents where um, one is given five, one gives two. Uh, They both double theirs. And then one is given one and does nothing with it, really. Just keeps it. And it's an interesting passage uh, because I I, want to be cautious uh, to to create a workspace salvation out of a a text like this. But at the same time, we are given, we are to give an account for what we do with what God's given us. Um, And if God's given us salvation in the spirit, what do we do with that? And, um, and, and I think that's all tied into the story of, of each of their talents. Now I do think it's interesting um, because the one servant who only had one, his response was master. I knew you to be hard man. And, and I was afraid. And so I went and hid your talent and, and the master didn't say like, Yes, I am clearly that. He basically is like, well, if you if you thought I was that, then you ought to have invested your money differently. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think the struggle with the one guy who who had his talent was also like not understanding the, the very character of his master at all, as if um, uh, um, as if he acted totally in response to a the the wrong. Like he didn't know his God as loving and gracious. He didn't understand that, and therefore ultimately responds in the way that he does. And so, um, I think the same is true for us. Like we we don't respond to the master because we, out of fear. Like the one response out of fear is the wrong one. Mm-hmm. That we respond out of of a desire to be obedient and to and to further God's kingdom and further the the things that God has given us. Yeah, and and the focus isn't on the performance, but on the response of the master. And so. So uh, faithfulness will be rewarded with more opportunities to serve God. And that is a desire of the faithful. Um, we will be held accountable, though, for how we use the resources God has given us. And I think that's a big challenge for us um, who tend to live in America. We are um, some of the wealthiest in the world. Yeah. And there's even the interesting parallels of like why these numbers and like even five and two, as we talked about uh, previously, like those are the deposits of the word. And so like the people who had what was true of God like multiplied it. And so, um, yeah, anyways, uh, that's just possibly there. I'm not going to say like, that's clearly what this 
text teaches. But anyways, final mm. judgment. Final uh, judgment. And so um, we covered some accountability. We covered uh, sort of waiting and watchfulness um, or readiness. And, and then we cover, I, I would argue, that the caring for others yeah. part of this section, that the bad stewards weren't feeding and, and, and they were drinking with the drunkards. They weren't providing for the people. And the good stewards, the definition of a good steward was one who does. And I think the same plays out here of like that the bad stewards uh, like don't be like the bad stewards who don't care and feed and love and give people the drink that they need but like don't be like them and be the people who are marked by my kingdom values like if you are a fruit tree in my if i've if i've taken you from a weed to a fruit tree you're going to bear fruit so show me the fruit um and and i think that's what um i think that's where the workspace kind of gets dealt with is if we are of God, we, we become something different. We do go from one thing to another. And so if we were previously a weed, now we become an apple tree. But what does an apple tree do? It, it makes apples. And so, um, and I think that the, the text here is talking about that. Like at final judgment, yes, we're, we're, it's going to be judging sort of the, the fruit that came, but that fruit only comes from a changed life by the power of the mm. Holy Spirit. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's nuance in how to talk about that. But um, I think that's what's at hand here. Yeah, again, really, really convicting because it all comes back to how we care for those on the margin. So, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, but the evidence of this salvation is how we care for the broken and the hurting. And whenever you encounter a text that has to do with like sheep and shepherds and goats and everything like that, like places like Ezekiel and Isaiah are going to be the places you, you might want to jump. And, and Ezekiel 34 talks about this whole section. Like it, it, sometimes we think that Jesus says a lot of novel things, but even in his whole dealing with the, the fall of the temple, so much of what he said are Old Testament quotes kind of all scattered together. And, and the same thing, like the sheep and the goats, this is the first time we've, we've heard about this. Ezekiel 34 says he's going to gather his flock. He's going to judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. And, um, and, and there it's a condemnation of the leadership for not caring for uh, the sheep, for not providing for them, not, not doing those things. And the same thing is going on here. And so uh, I think G- Jesus likely and, and his listeners likely uh, have Ezekiel 34 in mind. And so um, his critique of the leadership is meant to be an instruction for his people and um, for them to, to, to act as kingdom people um, is to act in ways that are, are about mercy and justice and care for others. Yeah. And for us too. Yep. Proverbs. Proverbs six. So I think um, just, I really, I'm really, really enjoying reading Proverbs along with it this year. I, I think I'm like, as I'm reading it, I'm reading it a little bit slower and trying to take more in. But with this one, step back and look at this in the context of everything we've read about the kingdom of God. It's all about serving others and working faithfully before God and for God's pleasure. And this passage speaks to that as well. It says, work hard, don't be lazy and live faithfully in both your actions and in what you think about. Yeah, it, and it ties into like invest your talents. Like yeah. God has put this deposit and giving you breath and giving you life and giving you truth. So go do something with it. Um, and yeah, we also get a list of things God hates. So hey, those are good to know. Yeah, <laughs> steer clear of all the things that God hates. Uh, next week, what should we be looking out for? Yeah, so we're going back to Second Samuel. Um, and then there's a lot of violence around David becoming king. So just kind of pay attention to David's heart, David's posture before God. And then um, 
kind of the role that violence plays in it. Just see what it looks like for David to enter into the kingdom that God has promised him. Uh, in New Testament, just remember that Matthew's goal here is to show Jews that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So why does Matthew include specific stories or what details or in which order are they? Um, and how is that proving that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah? Yeah. Yeah. As we, um, as we start jumping around histories a little bit, just remember kind of which author you're dealing with and probably, um, what direction, uh, they were speaking in or what, what sort of, um, purpose they have and why they're writing or when they're writing. Um, cause we're going to have to deal with that a little bit as we sort of jump around. Um, and, and so as we jump back into Samuel, think through, all right, these are written during likely near these days that these things happen, they have a different point or a different uh, critique uh, that they're trying to instruct the people with. And then the New Testament, um, yeah, as we climax towards the cross, most of the gospel writers all start getting more and more in sync uh, around the cross, but still each with their own little nuances. And Matthew is not short of that either. Uh, I'm not asking you to do the homework of comparing him to all the other gospel writers as you go, um, but there's some details that Matthew includes. And even given our whole conversation around critique of the leadership and stuff like that, um, see how Matthew might still be doing that when he talks about the leadership and how they ultimately bring about the death of Jesus. And so um, I think it's really important. So that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, y'all. 